Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the preparatory podcast where myself and two others are going through the Book of Mormon. So today we are answering a few questions. Those being, have you been spiritually born of God? Have you received his image in your countenances? And do you think the Beach Boys typecast themselves and limited their artistic talent by naming their band after something that can only be associated with Summer on the Coast? You guys want to introduce yourselves? I'm Jason Kane. I'm Andrew. And yes, to the third one. (laughs) Congratulations, Jason. (laughs) We are back in Independence. We are back as the three original hosts, and it feels good to be back. We've really appreciated having those conversations with our guests the last few episodes, and we're excited to see what we kick off. So we're going to close out the book of Jacob today. We are finishing Jacob's chapter four and five, um, and then we'll get into the ginormous task of even trying to conquer and understand what Enos and Omni and Jerem say in Words of Mormon, those massive books. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a big task, I'll say. <laughs> and I guess I'll just ask you guys what you thought of these last two chapters. I really was felt, I think we've talked about it. We all felt really good about those last few episodes. Um, specifically, I guess we had such a good conversation with Joel that it turned into two episodes. And um, we, of course, had the episode with Kara and just... It's, it's been amazing, and, but now we're back. We've come back down to earth, it feels like, with uh, <laughs> Yeah. So what were your thoughts, I guess, on chapters four and five? I liked how Jacob, he kind of, not he doesn't sum everything up, but he, he concludes it all really well. Uh, the Like we said, the last couple chapters have been a lot of really good stuff. Jacob chapter two being um, talking to the people and being like, hey, guys, you need to... Uh, get better about some things and then Jacob chapter three telling them why they needed to get better and then four and five is just the natural continuation of that is of like please listen to what I've been telling you for this time because (laughs) it's important Mm -hmm. yeah I've heard stuff on uh, Jacob three before but I don't know it just hit a little different with um, hearing Joel talk about it last week and uh, I just super appreciated everything he had to say and giving sort of the actions that we can take and really just some motivation to share the gospel with others, especially with um, your testimony of Christ and uh, your testimony of the Book of Mormon specifically, because there are so much more words of Christ in there and um, we're accountable for those words. But in, yeah, in chapter four, Jacob kind of just reiterates or just kind of says, Hey, we're, we got to act on what I just told you. And so, yeah, that that's applies to us too. So mm-hmm. I think this just now it's hit me just sitting here talking about how, and, and reading through it again, how Jacob is almost undervalued in the book of Mormon. I don't think I've ever asked anybody what their favorite book was and they've responded with Jacob. And I think that's because he's, He's dwarfed in part by Nephi um, and and Joel talked about this, about how powerful or how big of a spiritual giant Nephi was. And, you know, you start out with the Book of Mormon. If you learn it as a kid, you know, we've talked about the the one of the staples is the tree of life and, and, and that vision and Nephi and Lehi's vision and their journey over to the promised land and and how Nephi gets this great 
I don't know, respect basically because of who he is and because he's the faithful brother. And, and then you, you go in later in the book and there's obviously King Benjamin and King Mosiah and the sons of Mosiah and then Alma. And, and it's probably is Alma is probably, I'd say the most popular book that I've heard just because it's the most action packed and the most stories you can pull from and apply to, you know, teach people about, but going through Jacob, this past, these past few, I guess it's been a few months just because of the quarantine, but, um, and how powerful God worked through Jacob, uh, basically is, is that he was delivering really good material that the Lord had him. And sometimes it was really hard to deliver. Um, but he stood up there, um, right with, with Nephi, I feel like, and, and preaching specifically to the people what Kara talked about, about their sexual impurity and the sins the Nephites have that were really bad. And then basically giving them the future of what would happen with the restoration of the house of Israel and the purpose of it. And I think um, you can group in chapter four with that, but we're going to see in verse five that he stands. Um, he's one of the elect that, that uh, knows the gospel so well. And it's like this little brother syndrome of, well, we look at Nephi as the kind of the older brother to Jacob and Nephi is the hero. Um, but Jacob, there was a reason that Nephi trusted the record to Jake. Nephi trusted the record to Jacob because of what he was going to do with it and what he was going to write down. And I'm so grateful that the Lord saw fit to tell Mormon to include the plates of Nephi and the writings of Jacob and of Mosiah in with the, the book of Mormon, the other plates that he abridged. I don't know if you guys have any verses that you want to talk about or specifically topics Four again is the sum up of five, just kind of capping that off. But I was drawn to, um, verse 11 and it says for behold, after ye had been nourished by the good word of God all the day long, will ye bring forth evil fruit that ye must be hewn down and cast into the fire. And, um, this applies, I think specifically to people who have heard <laughs> the gospel, mostly church members, Right, because here Jacob is talking to basically church members and he's saying you've been nourished by the good word of God. Has it changed you or ha are you are you still going to bring forth bad fruit after all that you've heard? And no doubt Jacob's people were hearing the sermons and hearing the classes and meeting together, but they're still in not in danger, but that's still, you know, is he's like, well, are you going to change <laughs> What, what you're acting like. And I don't want to dominate all the conversation, but um, I think about us today, we go to church a lot. Um, and I can't say that I've always used that good word that I've heard to change the fruit I've been bearing. Um, a lot of the times the fruit I've been, I've seen going to church as a, a fruit I've borne as if waking up earlier than I want to on Sunday morning is a good enough fruit as a good enough action, but no, it, it's not. Zion still isn't here. There's a lot of people yet to hear the good news. There's a lot of evil in this world and they can't stop with going, <laughs> going to church. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts on that or, or how that applies or, or maybe you guys have other thoughts on other verses. Yeah. Um, just thinking of, you know, how do we apply, the book of mormon to our life and and i think the book of mormon is one of the easiest things to apply to our lives because 
of what we've talked about of receiving a change in our heart and bearing good fruit and what we talked about last week of you know sharing your testimony of Christ and sharing your testimony of the Book of Mormon it, it's just the best part of the Book of Mormon in my opinion is just the calls to action and a changed heart and uh, you see it later on in Alma 3 uh, and Sam quoted it at, on our intro of you know Alma three, there's talking about have the you, Beach Boys, yeah, the Beach Boys, and have have, have the Beach Boys really changed <laughs> their sound? <laughs> but um, no, and just receiving Christ in our lives, and once we have that, then the fruit that we do bear is going to be so good once we have a changed heart. Because before the verse you said in verse verse seven, it talks about the house of Israel, uh, the parts that are stiff necked and, and that really goes down to pride. And, um, if you're not willing to soften your heart and humble yourself, then you're not going to receive these promises. And, and in verse nine, it says, and while his arm of mercy is extended towards you in the light of the day, harden not your hearts. And yea, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts for why, uh, will ye die? And so, yeah, that just means a lot to me in my own life of basically the need for humility and the the need for us to produce fruit um, and good fruit. There's so much action that needs to be taking place. And basically, you know, the churches that we have in today's age, you know, by its fruits, you'll know it. And the fruit of the church is directly related to the fruits of your own life. So yeah, that's it. When, when you were in, um, this is, might be a little bit of a tangent, but I hope I can tie it back in. When you were in pre-marriage counseling, Jason, um, did the words always and never ever come up in how you resolve conflict? Not really. No, not really. No. Okay. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I was just wondering, but so Zoe and I are going to pre-marriage counseling and, um, we're talking about we, our last session was with uh, about conflict resolution and communication. And one of the things that is common, not every couple deals with, or not even couples, but just people with relationships is when you're frustrated or when you're burnt out, it's, it's easy to throw the word always in right, as right. in you always do X, Y, Z, or you never do X, Y, Z in a negative um, context and the fruit of that. So using Zoe and I, um, as an example, I, I don't mean to paint her in a bad light in any way because, well, well you'll see. I, I'll get to the point where I'm definitely wrong. But where if I upset Zoe in, in some way and she comes back with, you always, or you never put me first, you never put me first, maybe, immediately my mind goes to trying to prove her wrong in ways I have put her first. So I can break mm -hmm. that argument because her whole argument in my mind hinges on always or never it hinges on those two right. words. And really, if you dig deep down, it's, you know, if she thought about it, she would never say you never put me first. Right. It's just coming from a place of frustration or, or something. But when we're in cert, when we're in services or when we're talking to people um, about the gospel and something comes up as you need to repent of this and, or you always need to be looking for, I'm, I'm saying this wrong, poorly, um, 
basically the preacher summing up saying, we haven't done what we are supposed to do. And we, in our individual lives, look for ways to disprove that. To say, well, actually, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I'm going to church today. Um, I'm doing a bunch of stuff that that guy doesn't know about, that no one knows about. But that's the wrong response. And I'm not saying that, you know, you're not doing anything right, but you're coming in and attacking it when really what Jacob's saying here is, I've nourished you with the good words and there's still stuff to change, basically. Um, there's still humility to find and to hold dear. Maybe I don't know. Does that tie back in? I, I feel like with... Oh, yeah. We, you, ha- you have to have that humility to, you know, bear good fruit. And because if you're... If your actions are tainted with pride in any way, then it's not going to be the best fruit. Yeah, it takes the responsibility. You have to take the responsibility upon yourself. You know, when a preacher is saying, you know, we need to do this, we need to do this, instead of saying justifying your own actions, which, you know, sometimes you are justified in what you are doing and you are doing good works, but you have to find those places in your life that you know need to change and that's it's not a bad thing that we need to change it's it's an opportunity for us to build up our church in a better way and it's just going to take a lot of broken hearts and contrite spirits to get to where we're going because obviously what we're doing isn't working right now yeah and i mean I know people usually are receptive or they try and be receptive of sermons and, and people could probably throw in, you know, you're using a straw man argument or whatever. But, but the point I'm trying to make is um, that if my focus shifts to trying to show Zoe or the preacher that I have been doing what I'm supposed to doing, I'm missing out on the fact that, well, Zoe didn't feel put first in this situation. And that's a problem. Like, right. right. And so when, when the preacher or not even just pre- when, when someone comes to you and says, hey, um, this is a problem I'm having with how you've been acting. Um, specifically, I guess we're talking about in the role of church and and, and people talking to us like about our sins or, or what we're doing wrong. Um, we can't be like, well, our, our first instinct shouldn't be, I'll prove you're wrong. It's, you're right. I do have a mistake. The only person I can control is myself. I have my agency. You have yours. And with my agency, I'm going to do as much as I can to be like Christ, yeah. to bear good fruit. Mm-hmm. And this is just moving on. Um, but in verse 13, Jacob says, you know, will you reject the words of the prophets? And will you reject all the words which have spoken concerning Christ? And and we have to remember that this is for a people that have not heard um, or have don't have the evidence that Christ has come yet because he hasn't come yet. Just putting that in context, it's context. It's for the covenant people who don't necessarily uh, believe in Christ. I think I still think it's applicable to us because we have our doubts and sometimes we have our troubles. But um, if, if none of you have anything else to add on chapter four, um, actually, Angie, would you read uh, verse 17 just to sum it up for us? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, this goes out to all of you that are unwise. Oh, be wise. <laughs> what can I say more? What can you say more? Exactly. Really? Do we need any more episodes of this podcast yeah, in the, the first podcast place? podcast is done. Just <laughs> be wise. <laughs> hmm. Moving on to, to chapter five. Uh, this is Jacob's, I would say out of his, his life that we have recorded, this is his third mountain that he kind of 
I don't know if conscious is the right word, but he obviously spoke to the people um, about a grievous sin that he was anxious about. Um, two, he's kind of given them a history and a future of the world and the restoration. And then five, he comes face to face with um, a man who denies everything that Jacob's been ta- talking about. Um, it describes Sherem. And I always thought that I, this is a personal thing, but we had a guy in our church growing up whose name was Sherm and Sherm is just the complete opposite of Sherm. Like the nicest guy, complete leader, um, a giant um, in our branch of just basically a testimony of Jesus Christ, everything he does it's for the kingdom or, or how can he love you in some way? And so reading this as a kid, you just let your imagination wander and Sherem, just, I guess, being connected to Sherm close, always made me think of Sherem looking like Sherm. And it was always like, well, I don't think Sherm would do that type of stuff. <laughs> but, um, but I don't Sher- think Sherm was that. Bad. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so not Sherman, Sherem um, comes in and starts disturbing the people of Nephi. And he is testifying of something um, that is complete opposite, like I said, of Jacob. Um, and, uh, it says these things were flattering, um, and he did this that he might overthrow the doctrine of Christ. We have a scripture, I think we've talked about it on the uh, the podcast before, but it's in 2 Timothy, and it's chapter 3, and it's verse 7, and it's talking about um, the perils of the last days, things that are going to happen, um, how people are going to be, and it's going to say they're ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, and what is the greatest truth that everything is built upon? Um, it's Jesus Christ. And and so you have Sherem here, who's a learned man. He's a smart guy. He's good with words, but he isn't able to use that for good. Um, do you guys have a, anything you want to talk about here in chapter five specifically? Well, I was just going to add to that a little bit. In our day, we see that a lot with elite people out there and I'm not trying to be political or anything, but just like in today's society, you see very, very smart people now starting to espouse the fact that there is no objective truth. And that is something that you really have to avoid because there is absolutely truth. There is good. There is evil. There is specific truths that you should live by, but ultimately what Sam said, you know, we have the truth that Jesus is the savior and uh, the way to salvation. So just interesting to see in our, in our day. Yeah. And just to add on to that is that when you stop seeing good and bad or light and dark in that, in the lens of just life in general, you stop seeing a purpose for life, I think. And when you stop seeing a purpose for life, you stop seeing God in your life. And that's really the problem. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, uh, like, I don't know. We, uh, like Jason's saying, you know, we see that a lot right now is that a lot of people are in those gray areas. And uh, I read something. It was probably on Twitter or something, but he, he was talking. It was something political. I don't even care what it, it was something and he was like the lack of gray area here is appalling or like or something like that <laughs> and i i read that and it just made me think like gray area 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> you want it? Yeah. <laughs> that That's so against everything that I know in my mind. Like, I don't want any great. I want to know if it's good or I want to know if it's bad, you know? But that's neither here nor there. But what I would like to say is is in seven and eight, it's Jacob's response to this. Can I, can I jump in real sure. quick? Sorry. And it's something that your dad talks about and it ties in with truth is um, when your dad is kind of examining something and I just know this from you and talking to him briefly, but he asks if, if it's kind of unknown, you know, he's asking, where is the testimony of Christ found in this thing? And, that, and, and, you know, we have scriptures that say that any spirit that is the truth will testify that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. But, but Jason, you mentioned political figures and, um, and I agree with that or people in power, elites of society. Um, I, I look a little closer to home, I think, and I think both are applicable but in the church, you know, when someone stands up and is is preaching, is the testimony of Christ found in what they're sharing and in, in what anybody's sharing? Because you can be good with words, you can be good with, you know, I'm a really bad arguer. Just that's that's how it goes. And usually if I get into an argument, my tactic is to, well, okay, and then just kind of back away and then analyze it from afar and be like, okay, there's the problems in their argument. There's a but you know, because I'm a bad arguer, I can't go back. But that's what you look for is the testimony of Christ, I think. And that's what you should look for in anything with people, sh- people sharing, with people's actions. You know, sorry, go ahead. Verse seven and eight. No, yeah, that's good. And and that's really what Jacob did here is that he saw the lack of Jesus in the message of Sharon. And he's like, yeah, I know this is wrong. And so if there's anything we can take from this is that is that when we are evaluating anything in life if it doesn't point you to jesus then you can have the same reaction that jacob had and go against it or or just not be a part of it you know in verses six and sorry seven and eight it says sherem had hope to shake jacob from the faith and um it says jacob had seen angels in the uh, latter part of verse seven they administered unto him, and then in verse eight, he had heard the voice of the Lord speaking unto him in very, uh, in very word from time to time. Wherefore he could not be shaken. And I like to talk just uh, very briefly that this is very applicable to us in our lives today. Is that we might not have Sherem right in front of us saying, "Hey, Christ doesn't exist," or "He's not coming," you know, but we have a whole society in which they don't believe in the message that Jesus brought and that all men should be um, loved regardless of what they're doing and that we should treat people correctly. You know, like uh, that's just not commonplace anymore. Whereas a hundred years ago, like being nice to your neighbor was kind of just like the, the thing to do, you know, that's not really a thing anymore. Maybe in the Midwest it's bigger, but like in the world, that's not a value we keep. And so, um, I, I like the response here by Jacob because he had a relationship with God. And when he's looking at the struggles in his life, that relationship with God is what kept him from being shaken. And it says, wherefore I could not be shaken at the, at the end of that. We have to do the same. We have to have that same response because there are so many voices coming from social media the news outlets or just negative people in our lives. And we have so many opportunities to 
dwell in that gray area or to just not dwell on Christ because that's really the problem. It's not really just the gray area. It's just not being on Christ. But having that relationship with him will will draw us to truth because he is the truth, you know. And so when we're in tumultuous times as we are now, you have to re- rely on that relationship. And so um, I hope that's what we've all learned through this quarantine and everything is that uh, it doesn't really matter what we do for a job or who we hang out with all the time or how, I don't know, how much money we make or anything like that. It matters how close you are to God because this year is the testament to how fast things can change. <laughs> do you want to talk about that scripture in Matthew? I can read that real quick if you want. Yeah, sure. Um, and this is from Matthew chapter 24, verses twenty, verse 23. For in those days there shall also arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if possible, they shall deceive the very elect who are the elect according to the covenant. Yeah, um, Sam and I were on a home visit one time. Actually, I don't. I think this was on a home visit. It was, I think you talked about it on a sermon. You're right, you're right. One of our mentors. That's right. <laughs> yeah, one of our many mentors. We need many because we wander so much. Um, but or I guess I wander so much. I can't speak for Sam. But um, in chapter 24, what Sam just read, our mentor who we were talking to, or Sam was talking to at this time, um, he read this and he was like, what do you think this means? And we all responded like, well, the smart people at the end of the, uh, in the end times, the smart people are even going to be deceived. And he was like, wrong. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he went on to explain that this is put in, uh, maybe it's maybe just misconstrued in, in our teachings today is that there's this misconception that even, even those the spiritual giants in our church will be deceived and and that might be what it well not even spiritual we just take it that it's possible that everyone's going to get deceived yeah right yeah like that's that, a better way of saying that it everyone sure. yeah sorry go ahead. no you're fine and so we've kind of just resigned ourselves to that like when when big things happen and we see people move off or or a split happens and we see somebody we respect and we're like, Oh wow. Oh, they were the very elect and they were deceived. Oh, it's the end times. You know, like, uh, wait, I don't know. That's just kind of how I've always viewed it at least. And he, he read that again and he said, uh, he focused on, he focused on specifically the last and, um, uh, elect according to the covenant. And, you know, you ask what covenant is and it's the covenant of baptism. Um, but the way it's worded, it, it kind of can be read either way. And and he was saying that what it's saying is everyone else, I believe he said everyone else, when these wonders and signs are going off, are going to be going, ooh, and ah. But the elect aren't. And it's going to say that if it were possible for the elect to be deceived, they would, but they're not. Because the elect, because it goes on to clarify that the elect will know when the end is, um, it'll be after all these things, wars and rumors of war. So they weren't deceived. So that's not to say that anyone who isn't baptized or anyone who is baptized can't get deceived. But coupling this with Jacob and him being one of the elect ones, you see that he's not deceived basically by flattery, by smart, a smart guy, by many awesome words, basically, or signs. 
Um, and that is because he is one of the elect and one of the ones who has a firm grasp on the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we even see that in verse 39 of Matthew 24, and it says, and whoso treasureth up my words shall not be deceived. So like very plainly says, oh yeah, if you're right with God, you're not going to be tricked. Um, simple as that. So just another reason for you to be Jacob in this scenario with all the antichrists running around is that yeah. you need to seek for a relationship with God. And we get to see a little bit of that flattery in verse 11. Oh, sorry, not 11. Uh, I don't know why I wrote down 11. In verse 9, that's what I meant. In verse 9. And I, when I read this, I was like, ooh, he's coming in like a snake, basically. So, Sharon comes up to Jacob. And Sharon's obviously been preaching some controversial and wrong doctrine. Um, but he says, he came up to him and he says, Brother Jacob, I have sought much opportunity that I might speak unto you. Um, for I've heard and also know that you go about much preaching that which you call the gospel or the doctrine of Christ. Um, and my ears perk up because he, one, he calls Jacob brother Jacob. So there's this like term of endearment for him. Like, hey, man, I care about you. I want to make sure you're right with God, right? Like, like I'm coming in as the savior to your false doctrine, um, brother Jacob, <laughs> um, and applying that in my own life or what I've seen, I have to think that there's a lot of times that we, I'll say, I, um, use the cop out of, I love those people. And, and this is not necessarily a cop out because I think, think it can be applicable if it's genuine. But we say we love the people, hate the sin, right? But when it comes down to it, we haven't done anything to love those people. We've just hated their sin. And like we've made no effort to show them love or to connect with them. It's just been how can I show them that I hate their sin? And so that's what I see, I guess, when I see Sharon coming in like, hey, brother Jacob, I wanted to talk to you for a long time. And it's not to understand your position in any way and then share you with i think it's just to basically chastise you and get you to change from preaching what you're preaching and so i think it's very important i've seen it tons of times that phrase love the person hate the sin and i think it's a fine expression i i don't necessarily have any problem with the phrase i think that god and many well in all ways loves the people um, loves each individual so much and he hates the sin that keeps them away from him, but it's a genuine love. And uh, it talks about in Mosiah, I guess this is spoilers, um, but that we bear one another's burdens and that's what we do as Christians. And so if there's not an effort there to serve, uh, it also talks about you who serve your fellow man are serving your God. So if there's not an effort there to serve um, our fellow man, to serve our our, our, our fellow beings, even if we disagree with them, we have to ask them ourselves, are we loving them? Danny uh, Height, I guess I just name dropped him, preached a really good sermon on on Summer Series. And, and he talked about working with people who he disagrees with and how tough love is something. He's like, you know, what is tough love? And we cop out with tough, tough love a lot because it's like, hey, if we can get, if we can just excuse our actions with the phrase tough love then we're justified but because it's still love right because it's right. still love but you know what's tough love to god 
we like, you're, I mean, we kind of put ourselves in God's shoes and say, well, this is what God would do. He would give them tough love and he would basically hate their sin and never give them any, uh, maybe I said never. And I probably shouldn't have said never. Cause we just talked about that, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we put ourselves in God's never. shoes and we say, say I'm going to give them tough love and I'm not going to actually love them. I'm not going to actually bear their burdens until they look and behave to my expectations of what I know to be true. That said, I think there are times when, when you can't go along with things, but I think those times are, are fewer than we act on. Yes. Fewer well, than and, we act and that's fewer the thing the is we with the scenario that you're describing of, you know, just not actually loving someone. It's like, if we really want someone to change, no one changes through someone just saying, Hey, you're doing something wrong. Uh, they change when they either see someone else living a, better life and they want to be that um, and then realize the sin in their life or someone who really loves them and they know loves them uh, tells them that something's wrong and they either know it in their heart or you know haven't didn't know it was wrong or whatever the scenario be but you know that that's way more impactful in someone's life if they can actually see the love that um, you have for them I'm immediately drawn to think of uh, David and Nathan when David had sinned with Bathsheba and stuff and stuff. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, That's yeah. the list of David's sins. You know, Bathsheba <laughs> stuff. And stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, he had sinned with Bathsheba and sent Ornan to, to battle. And I can imagine David because he knew the law. He knew it better than anybody. He was like such a good kid and he had fought Goliath and all this stuff. And now he's a king and uh, he knew the law. And so he knew what he was doing was bad and had anybody come up to him and said, hey, David, I know that you're with Bathsheba and that's a no, no. He would have been like, I don't care. You're going to the front lines. I want you dead too now. Yeah. You're like, who cares? Okay, but because Nathan came to him and showed him like how terrible it hurt God in that scenario, David's like, "Oh no, I messed up." <laughs> and and Nathan had a relationship with David yeah. where he was able to John Is it Nathan? Nathan, uh, okay. the prophet, yeah. Yeah. Where it wasn't just, yeah. Yeah. some random guy. Yeah. Yeah. But like even then he just didn't say, "Hey David, you've been dumb." He was like telling him this story and made him feel sorry for this guy that was the guy he killed. Mm -hmm. And then David's like, hey, I'm I'm not going to let this stand. Tell me who this is and I'm going to make sure this guy dies. And Nathan's like, you're the dude, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, that You've just been fooled. Are we the baddies? Yeah. <laughs> As they're sitting on the Death Star and they're just like. Yeah. Are we the bad guys? Are we the bad guys? In this <laughs> <laughs> that was that was David at that point. Am I the bad guy in this story? <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're coming up on um, on an interesting topic, and Jason kind of mentioned this haphazardly. We have a we have a another study, uh, a study basically with um, our friends and. It's open to anyone, so <laughs> um, if you're in town, it kind of fluctuates dates or whatever, but usually it's on a Saturday night here in Independence. Uh, we'd be happy to have whoever. But one of the topics we came up with one day, and, and it was a discussion, was 
um, the unpardonable sins. And uh, just to catch you up on the story, if you're not reading along with us, Jacob and Sharam discuss and um, Sharam basically challenges God and, but he challenges God through Jacob. Um, he says, you know, if you're, if you're telling the truth, then show me a sign. And Jacob's like, well, I'm not one to tempt God. Um, but if it's his will, then it's his will. And Sharam is struck down and, um, he knows that he's going to die soon due to this, um, powerful sign that he had asked to be wrought upon him. And, um, he gathers the people together and he, he begins to tell them that he deceived them and he was wrong. And, um, <laughs> I don't know what that sound was. <laughs> um, I think we have a, a rogue duck in here. A rogue duck. <laughs> um, he tells them that he was wrong and that everything he taught them was a lie and he was deceived because I, I wondered about his motivation and, and all he really says is I was deceived. Um, but in 33, he says, I fear lest I have committed the unpardonable sin, for I have lied unto God, and I deny the Christ, and said, I believe the scriptures, and they truly test, but they truly testify of him. They say, and they truly testify of him. But what he's saying is, I knew the scriptures, I denied the Christ, but now I see that I was deceived and I had a, I was wrong, basically is what he's saying. But in there, he says, I fear I have committed the unpardonable sin. So I just, Based on our discussions that we've had in study, I wanted to ask, because Jason, we've had some discussions about that. What were your thoughts on, you, maybe you just mentioned it in passing, but. Um, I just think something we we had talked about when addressing this topic is basically, if you're worried about committing the unpardonable sin, then you probably haven't because I think in the end, it's truly where your heart's at and God will judge you on your works and such, but he does know your heart in the end. And there's so much grace that he gives us. And so on that one, it says, um, technically blaspheming against Christ, you know, it's a sin, but it's not unpardonable but um blaspheming against the spirit um is the unpardonable sin and that's in matthew i think and and so if you're in this um state of never never accepting the spirit that you've been given and going against the spirit then your heart's probably in a place that is almost unsavable just because you would reject what the grace. Christ, yeah, the grace and the, what Christ would give. And so it, it's an interesting topic. Um, and really we don't have a specifically definitive answer on specific people or, you know, besides maybe some people having testimonies, but like judgment comes when we're not on earth. So, um, it's hard to know exactly for sure, but right. Well, I think one, um, I guess baseline, it's Im Im important to realize that it's, it's basically, I don't, I don't want to say a, a mythical question, but it's a question we will never have answered. And because right. we can't, or we can't answer it for anybody else because it's between that person and God. Um, it's also important to note that Sherem, he says, he didn't say I did, or Jacob doesn't say he did. He just says, I'm afraid that I did. And so, you know, 
at least from a human standpoint, that he recognized what he had done was wrong and he had taken measures to prevent it. Now, again, this is just all hypothetical because we're not God and we stand in no place to judge Sherem. Um, but we had a discussion, another discussion about um, forgiveness and, and we were talking about seven times 70 and, um, and everything. And what was interesting is we came across a, a term we didn't understand. It's not as necessarily a scriptural term, but um, Andrew, you asked your dad about it and uh, he sent him a text and I asked my dad about it and both of them sent back the same scripture um, just on the topic of forgiveness, which is really what applies to us today. And it's in section 64. Um, it's a verse two uh, D through E it says, wherefore I say unto you that ye ought to forgive one another for he that forgiveth not his brother, his trespass standeth, standeth condemned before the Lord for there remaineth in him the greater sin. I, the Lord will forgive whom I forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men and ye ought to say in your hearts, let God judge between me and thee and reward thee according to thy deeds. And so there's no point. Um, there should be no point where we tell another individual, hey, you, sorry, I can't forgive you for what you've done. Um, now, I know that I say that as someone who's very privileged to have never gone through anything hard. That's the right term for it, I feel like. I, I mean, my life is peachy. <laughs> um <laughs> And I, and I know that it, with it is a lot of weight, but it's a fun hypothetical. I don't even know if fun is the right word because it's kind of, it's a scary thought that there is a sin that you couldn't be um, forgiven for. But I think the greater lesson to take away is you and I are supposed to forgive everyone. That's the commandment. And God, with his infinite knowledge and wisdom and <laughs> and understanding of us better than we know ourselves can make the final call. And that's a call I'm definitely happy that to give up and <laughs> have no part in um, that he can, that he can make. And that's the wonderful thing about God is he doesn't make any wrong judgments. Like, you know, our courts in the U S sometimes we get stuff wrong, but a lot of the times. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but with God, Every judgment is completely fair. It's completely just, and it's based on, um, you know, grace, which is also crazy. You know, you're not just judged how you should be. Um, you ultimately end up with what God tells you you deserve, <laughs> basically. It's a complete lack of a of making sense mathematically, right? Like, yeah. right. It's just like, well, I did this. So on paper or equally, basically in real life, if things were fair, this is what I would get. I'd um, get death. Yeah. And the scriptures say the wages of sin is death. So we absolutely deserve to die from God. Just strike us down because we have sinned. Like we're liars, we're cheaters, we're adulterers. We're, we're so much, um, and there's so much sin that all of us have in the world. And it's something that, you know, absolutely doesn't add up because you know, God has his own justice that, um, and, and the justice has been you know, paid. The debt has been paid. Mm -hmm. That ties back into what Sam was talking about earlier with tough love. There's a scripture in Micah chapter six, verse eight, that says, 
uh, and what doth God require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with thy God? And, you know, sometimes we take that stance of tough love or side of justice, but we don't have that motivation of mercy or grace in our life. And with God, they are totally intertwined. Like they, they are not separate things. Mercy and justice are the same to him. And one without the other isn't, isn't love. And, and God has combined them both to where all of his acts of justice include mercy with him. And all of his merciful acts are just. And, and so when we take this stance of tough love, it comes from a place of, oh yeah, we know what justice is, but we don't have that motivation of mercy behind it. And so that's really what I I guess Danny preached about last time too, is that we need to have that motivation behind doing the right thing and not just saying, Hey, I really want to show this person that I hate their sin because actually I really don't like them. So I'm just going to I'm going to make them feel bad for their sin, you know, like mm-hmm. that, because that happens, you know, uh, probably all of us have done it. Yeah. We're supposed to emulate mercy more than justice. Oh, absolutely. Justice yeah. is well, not ours right. to give. Just that's, like 64. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what, what it was said. showed to us with yeah. Jesus was complete mercy. And uh, <laughs> it would be, it's like that, the parable of the guy who was forgiven the, the massive amount. Like I, I forget what it is. It's like, worth billions of dollars in today's yeah. money, right? And then he goes and wants justice for the for the hundred dollars yeah. or something like that. He was he was wronged of. Um I found this interesting in verse 38, it, it Sharam passes away. Um the multitude hears his his repentant um speech, I guess, and uh it says in verse 38 that peace and the love of God were restored again among the people. Um, and they, one, um, they searched the scriptures and two, they hearken no more to the words of this wicked man. Um, I found it interesting that this concept of the love of God being restored um, to the people. And I was kind of thinking like, well, how did, you know, how does that fit in? Because to my knowledge, it never talked about the love of God even being there to begin with. But I do think if you go back to that Brother Jacob comment, you have a false love of God. Um, it was not there to nourish. It was not there to testify of Christ. It was not there um, to build anyone up. And it was, and on paper, mathematically, it was, a, a you know, I say that, you can scratch that. On paper, it was a form of love because he was coming and saying, hey, man, he was using a term of endearment, saying, hey, I wanted to talk to you for a long time, but it didn't measure up to the love of God. Um, and you saw that that's what Jacob had. And that's what he that's why he was the elect who was not deceived and able to stand boldly. Yeah. And not even just that. Well, that's not the right phrase, but um, I also can see from this that I'm sure this false prophet got people on his side and that would immediately create a rift of, you know, Jesus believers and those who yeah. are still like, you know, that's heresy or you know, blasphemy or whatever. And so you can just imagine the type of rift that would, you know, create in the people there. And just once we think we're right, we kind of fight for it. And I'm sure there was some, you know, mm-hmm. bickering and a lack of love 
with people who just are trying to be right. And well, I think it speaks to a lack, you know, is then in simplified terms, two hearts and two minds. Yeah. Um, you know, you had it just a group in people. Generally, you had the people of, who believed in Christ, like you're saying, and and you can't have you can't have that. Sorry, I cut you off on. No, that, no. But. The only other thing I would say is you know, once they searched the scriptures, they realized that Christ was the savior and then the love of God was restored. They focused on Christ and the love came. Yeah. The question I would pose, I guess, for us today is that just like these people, can we really have peace or can we really have love when Jesus isn't fully a part of our life? And so as we've gone on and and we've alluded to being slightly apathetic in the days we live in because we've been so privileged to live in such a land of freedom, of prosperity and and really i mean like there's hardship but like most people aren't struggling for their next meal or or to where they're going to sleep or or any of those things is that we've been we've been blessed and so we've been kind of cursed with that blessing with some apathy and and uh can we truly have peace in our lives if we don't allow that apathy to leave and and jesus to come and take over yeah, I think that's a. If none of you have any other comments, I guess we'll close the book of Jacob. Not for the last time, I'm sure. I'll, I'm sure we'll reflect back on it because it has themes that just continue throughout the Book of Mormon, specifically Jacob three. I know that it's already in in Enos because um, I'm looking right down here at my scriptures, and there's already things I've marked that reflect back on on what Jacob has taught. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. God bless. Jason, cue the outro music. Wash me clean in a warm sun dry wind.